Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Um, like the last four Sundays that I've spoke, I've spoke on the fear of the Lord, or just what it means to reverence God. And the last message I taught on, I talked about, you know, the vital signs, the vital signs that actually testify that you really are saved. Because, you know, it is an incredible thing. It's, it's a wake-up call, to say the least, when you actually study Scripture and you realize the Bible said there is no Scripture without significance. Like the Jews always say, you know, every jot and tittle means something. And they're not just indiscriminate things that are thrown in there. For example, like I said when I taught on the ten virgins a couple of weeks ago, the parable of the ten virgins, you know, 50% of them had no oil. 50% of them had oil. And it speaks to salvation. The whole parable is about salvation. And then while they begged, you know, the five that had no oil begged the other five for oil, but they couldn't give it to them. It wasn't because they were being mean, remember. It's just that you can't give your salvation to someone else. Just because you're saved, that doesn't mean, you know, the guy sitting next to you is saved. But when you really comprehend 50%, five had no oil, five did. And, you know, it just strikes me. I'm not trying to freak anybody out. But when you think about 50% of the people, 50% of the people maybe aren't going to make it because they, Scripture's clear. I went through all of it. There's so many people that, you know, they know how to talk to Christian talk. They know how to go to church. They think church membership is going to get them saved. And they're still not. And there's, and I'm trying to get to some, I'm trying to get to the good news. <laughs> Good news is that there's, you know, there's only, the Bible only points to two things, really, that absolutely, certainly tell you that you are saved, hallelujah, that you're going to heaven, that you've made it, your ticket's punched, praise God. And really, they're quite simple, but nevertheless, we have to really consider them, because I've met, like I said, when you, you know, I, anyhow, God, I'm, I'm going all over the place. I woke up Friday morning. And I just kept, and suddenly it just struck me, and I thought, you know, 1975 um, is when God worked that miracle in the courtroom in my own life, and um, these people prayed for me, and I got saved. And I was thinking, that's 42 years ago. Uh, a whole lot of people in here are under 42, which means I've been saved a whole lot longer than you've been alive. Hallelujah, <laughs> even you. But you know, I was thinking about. Well, I was just thinking about how much my life has changed. And I'm not trying to draw attention to myself, but again, in my particular cases, you know, I've got sadly a blood and guts testimony. But nobody, you know, nobody knows how much different I am than I do. And, you know, in other words, nobody knows how different I used to be except for myself. But I was just sitting there and, and just the love of God began to just strangle me. And I began to think about how faithful he is. How, of all these years, no matter what you go through, no matter what calamities you may experience or what have you, I'm just so grateful to God that when I you know, got saved and went to the ministry teen challenge, you know, my, I got saved and four weeks later I was in this teen challenge facility in Riverside, California, that this the guy that taught there, I was taught the Bible, as you remember, I was taught the Bible four to five hours a day every single day by this guy named Eddie Duncan. He's in heaven now. And every three months, Eddie would teach this thing called the love walk. And it's because we needed it. Because when you led a life of crime and violence and all kinds of stupidity, 
you, you don't realize how, like I said in my prayer, you don't realize how trained you are to the world. And, but you don't have to be a criminal to be trained by the world. What I'm saying by that is just, you know, it, before you come to Christ, it's normal to think like you think. Do you know what I mean? Just whatever I'm going with the flow of the cattle before you get saved. You're just doing what everybody else does. You don't think of, of it as being like some huge sin or anything else. But the truth of the matter is you're far from the things of God. You're far from God. And yet in a moment of time, you know, you can, you can, you can have your entire life turned around. My parole officers, you've heard me share, I had three parole officers because I was popular with the California Department of Corrections. Hallelujah. It's good to be popular. Amen. <laughs> But, you know, I, I've, like I've heard you say, I always remember turning to my sister, Sandra, and saying, she said, well, what's the chances of Rod actually really ever getting free from all the stuff that he's involved in? And Mike Willis, one of my pro turned to Sandra, and she said, he said, anybody who's been involved to the depth, to the level that your brother has been involved this many years, he said 98% of them, 99% of them spend the rest of their life in and out of the penitentiary. And he said, I'm sorry, but that's just the, that is the statistics, and that's the way it is. He'll probably spend the rest of his life in prison. He'll probably spend the rest of his life involved in violence and all kinds of stuff like that. But again, and then he made this statement that, again, I have one of my favorite statements on the whole planet. And Sandra said, well, what about the other 1% or 2%? How do they get free? Just get a good job or something? He said, you know, the funny thing is, he said, at least, he said, most of them, they, the ones that stay free, he said, they get free on some kind of a Jesus kick. And I've never forgotten that because that's exactly what happened. Jesus got a hold of me and kicked me right out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the, of the son of his dear love. But... I've, you know, so for 42 years, I've watched, like I said, this guy who had taught the love walk over and over again. I, I just, it became the thing that I hung, I hung my coat on. You know what I mean? The fact that, because I don't know about you, but, you know, when you have been a naughty boy, anybody here ever been naughty before they were saved? Everybody here been a saint their whole life, right, brother? Everybody here has been a saint the whole time. You know, it's just right. Charlie, were you always a saint? Okay, good. You need to turn your hat backwards, man. No, but you know, you you don't realize again that it's just well, whatever. It's part of who you are. But coming to this book and really understanding the depth of what it means to have your mind renewed to the Word of God is the overwhelming truth that all of us have to grasp. This book works. This book works for anybody who'll work it. I don't care what your situation is. I don't care how desperate it is. The love of God transcends everything. It really does. But there's still something about our human nature that just kind of goes, eh. You know, I'm so tired of hearing somebody say, God, God is love. God loves me. It's no big, you know, God loves me. And as I shared over the weekend, I remember when I first came to this nation some 33 years ago, 34 years ago. Uh, being, I was uh, speaking a lot of conferences up and down the nation, and these two or three, well, they were called the, some of the major church fathers of the nation. When I, they asked me what I was going to speak on up north, and I said, "Well, I'm going to talk about something I call the Love Walk," and I could actually see them yawn. They went, oh, "Well, you know, the, the dude's going to get up there and just talk about, you know, God loves you and what have you." 
And again, the moment they did that, I knew that they didn't have any more idea than a hog in cotton what I was talking about. Let me just read a couple of verses, like I said, because the main thing I want to communicate is in the book of 1 John what the whole letter says. A lot of people make a mistake when they just pull a scripture from here or there. This is an entire letter. It's like the book of Romans. You need to read the whole book of Romans. You need to read the whole whatever the epistle is to really catch what the apostles are trying to communicate. And the book of 1 John, like I said, above all books in the Bible, really, is just incredible the freedom that it begins to communicate about, for you and I, about not feeling guilty when we mess up and understanding what it really means to be saved. So I'm going to get ahead of myself immediately by reading uh, from 1 John 3, and again, I do for the Amplified Bible. I don't know if they're going to get up there, but 1 John 3, verse 9 and 10. I'll start there, then we're going to go back to 2 Peter and come back to 1 John 1. See how much I can get to this morning. Hallelujah. It says in verse 9, 1 John 3, 9, No one born or begotten of God deliberately. Everybody say deliberately. deliberately. No one born begotten of God deliberately, knowingly, and habitually practices sin. For God's nature, God's nature abides in him. His principle of life, the divine sperm, remains permanently within him, and he cannot practice sinning because he's born and begotten of God. Verse 10, by this, everybody say this. And again, this is what I mean. How do you know that 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 you're saved? By this it is made clear who take their nature from God and are his children, and who take their nature from the devil and are his children. It's real simple. No one who does not practice righteousness, who does not conform to God's will and purpose, thought, and action is of God. Neither is anyone who does not love. Hallelujah. Any, neither is anyone who does not love his brother or his fellow, believers in, fellow believer in Christ. So I'm going to give you the punchline from the beginning, and then we're going to go back and just move towards this. The thing that I love about what God has done in my life, now I don't know about you, but when I was young, before I was saved, as a young man, I mean, you look forward to the weekend so you can get crazy. Now, is it, is it, was it ever like that in England? You know what I mean? And some of you didn't wait till it was a weekend. Now, speaking about Femi sitting over there smiling. No. No, I'm talking about you. Don't look around. <laughs> He's looking around thinking I'm talking about somebody else. But, you know, you think about, okay, this weekend, you know, and it's not that you're even a bad person, but you think on when the weekend comes or before the weekend, I'm looking where I can boogie. You know what I mean? Whether it's I'm going to get, you know, most guys, you know, whatever, I want to find the booze or I want to find the drugs or I want to find the chicks, whatever it is. I want to go have a good time is all I'm trying to say. That's what about. Now, women, I know like you girls were always angels, right? Do women ever think that way on the weekend? They're looking forward to going and book in? Never? You're saying yes, you're saying no. <laughs> Hallelujah. But I'm just hear what I'm trying to say. It's just that you want to have a good time. And so you don't realize it, but in particular, when you, you know, if you're not born from above, you're still born from beneath. This Bible is really clear. Before, If you have not accepted Jesus Christ, whether you like it or not, you still have the nature of the devil in you. 
Now, you might be really sweetheart, doing all kinds of still good works, but you're not, if you're not born from above, I'm sorry, you know, you're, you're not patched into heaven. And there's something about that that has to change. But nevertheless, you look for things to do wrong. You look for things to, and again, it's not that you even think it's wrong. Like I said earlier, it's just normal. Of course, we're going to get together with my buddies. You know, you go find somebody when you're under, when you're under 18. You've got to find somebody that will buy the booze for you because you can't buy the booze. <laughs> Talking about the old days. Just whatever it is. I'm just saying you plan for the weekend, you whatever. And again, you're all looking at me holy, but God will forgive you. But the thing is, when you actually, when, when, when you actually do say, and it starts so simple, you're asked to say a prayer and simply ask this man that you know nothing about. You may hear the story, but you know you don't you don't know him at all. You don't know him at all. His, you've got. To, I don't know. There's no words to communicate it. We don't know the guy at all, but yet God is so great and massive and overwhelming in His pursuit of us that we say this little prayer sometimes just from our head. Father, in the name, you know, I confess my sins. Jesus, come into my heart. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. And you know, you say it, but you don't understand any of it. But you say it. I remember when I, when that guy in a bell, you know, when I was in the county jail getting ready to go back to prison, and Tom Alexander, this guy led me in that prayer. I didn't have any lightning bolts. I didn't feel a hurricane. I didn't feel any of that. But I walked back to that cell. Like I told you, I was in a 12-man cell at that time that had 28 men in it. It was really fun. And I walked back to that cell, and I couldn't explain it to anybody, but something was different. Something had changed. Now, you know, I know a little scripture now. Uh, at that very moment, an, 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 a divine exchange takes place between heaven and earth, where the heart of stone is taken out, Ezekiel says, and a heart of flesh is inserted in, in exchange for that old heart. But your soul, your mind is still trained to live like you used to live. Right? Is anybody here? Your mind is still trained to live this way. And so you have to go through this process. And that's why I always say that Christianity is such a journey. It's a process that you go through over a period of time. But again, it's all dependent on how much you yield yourself to this word that cleanses you. This is why I thank God, I thank God, I thank God, I thank God. Like I said, in my case, that I was forcibly put in a place for 12 months. Where again, four to five hours a day, I was taught the scriptures by somebody that really knew how to teach the Bible. Because that stuff, you know, at first I'm listening, I don't understand this stuff. But over and over and over again, I began to hear this word and began, and you don't even realize it because the word of God is so powerful. It is supernatural. It's the most supernatural thing you ever want to have. It begins to penetrate that heart of yours and penetrate that stinking thinking. And pretty soon you just find yourself different. You just can't, like it says, run to the excess of right. You can't boogie and run to the places of sin and run to the places that you used to do. You, you just can't do it. And so what I'm trying to just get started with this morning is it's, I cannot put in words how wonderful it is for me to just have this simple knowledge. I, there's nothing in me. I never wake up 
thinking about how I want to mess up. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And this is one of the major vital signs or indicators that you really are saved. I have no, there's nothing in me. There's no desire in me to go and make mistakes, to sin. There's no desire in me to be unfaithful to my wife. I mean, you know, there's no desire in me to get loaded. There's no, there's no, there's, there's just, it's just not there. Now, that may not sound like anything to you, but to a person who, for three or four years of his life, before the last time I went to the penitentiary, you went to, to somebody that really understands addiction, to wake up, and the moment you wake up, that stuff's on you, it's pulling so hard, man. I mean, your neck, your back, your body is going through all kinds of stuff, and you've got to get this heroin into you. You've got to find, I mean, when you've lived like that for years and years and years, and you know, and you, you don't get high anymore, you don't have fun anymore, you fix to be safe. I mean, you're just, the only reason you fix is so that you don't get sick. But to have lived like that and now be able to wake up and just go, hallelujah. Um, there's nothing in me. And, I, and I'm not bragging on me. I'm trying to say this is what I, when I was studying that stuff last month myself, I just got to thinking, I mean, do we actually know that we're saved? And, it, and like it says here again, this, you know, this is, it, it says, by this it's made clear. You take their nature from God. And so the issue is this. See, if there's anything in you that still has that little itch, that kind of hunger, I want to go, I want to get high, I want to get loaded, I want to go, whatever. You're in dangerous territory. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm trying to say. But the second thing is, there's, it just says, and that you love the brethren. You simply want to love. Now, that may not sound that miraculous to you either. But again, in my experience, sadly, again, because my experience, you know, I was so, you, you're, you're taught the wrong way. You don't realize how wrongly you're taught. But, you know, it's like being, you know, it's, it's like the old blood in, blood out thing of gangs. When, you, when, in, when you're in prison and stuff, you, you, you don't, it's not that you choose, you know, to be in a gang or anything like that. But you, you have to declare because you walk in. If you're a white boy, you're going to have to be here. If you're black, you've got to be here. If you're Mexican, you've got to be here. Whatever. And you have to be able to handle yourself. Otherwise, you know, if you show any weakness, you're a dead man. And so you find yourself just, uh, at, you know, you, as I shared, when, the last time I proled out of the penitentiary, and again, it's not, I'm, I'm by no means the most super sinner of the world <laughs> before I was saved, believe me. But, you know, they had gun towers, you know, it's, you watch the movies, but it's, the real thing is real different. But, but and you got gun towers all over, around the perimeter of the prison, the last prison that I was in. And uh, when, when they, you parole and you get ready to go out, they call your number over what, over, um, there were loudspeakers, they'd call like, you know, six or seven people go out every week. But when they called my name, they said, Anderson, B33798, it's amazing, I can still remember my numbers. <laughs> Anderson, B, excuse me, yeah, yeah, B3379A is proling. And all, this is the God's truth. All of the cops in the gun towers, all the loudspeakers, begin to applaud. They were so thrilled to see me leave. I mean, they had a party because I left. And the reason being is because I, had, I learned a lesson, you know, the years before. The only way you can stay sane is to get as insane as possible. I mean, you just get crazy. You have to get crazy, otherwise you'll go nuts. <laughs> Doesn't that sound funny? You have to get crazy, otherwise you'll go nuts. 
But the stuff you see, you know, the horrific things that you see and the horrific things that you're exposed to, you know, guys getting raped and stuff and horrible, horrible, the screams in the middle of the night and the fights and blood. And I've seen several people killed in front of my eyes, you know, and literally right, right here, right gates go down and one of your friends gets stabbed, Jimmy Fitch, 72 times. I'll never forget these right gates came down. Too much to explain. And I'm sorry, this is horrible for a Sunday morning. But I'm just saying to come out of all of that stuff, you know, to watch this guy get stabbed 72 times in front of me, my friend, and be killed. Um, and there's, you, you, you're trained to be mean. You're trained to not let any weakness show whatsoever is what I'm trying to spit on. But God is so transformational. This is what blows my mind. I mean, I've, I've met by the grace of God so many people, a lot of them through the ministry teen challenge all those years ago, who have these incredible testimonies of what God has done. I mean, you wouldn't believe it. I mean, some of the people that you might be sitting right next to right this moment might have been just, so, you know, a hellion before they came to Christ. I mean, somebody you would never, ever, 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 ever consider being in the same room with. But God... It says, so rich is he in his mercy and in his love towards us. You know, he loved us while we were yet dead in our sins and trespasses. He loved us while we were dead in our sins and trespasses. So the way you know you're saved is because something just shifts in you. And it's such a dramatic shift for some of us that, you know, it's like it says, you know, that by this it is made clear that now we take our nature from God. That we no longer run after sin. We don't practice. We don't deliberately. Now, this is the thing that's really life. It sets you free when you think about it. There's nobody in here. In fact, that's what First John will say if I get to it probably next week. In the first chapter, I mean. But it says, if anybody says that you have no sin, that you lie against the truth. And you do not have the truth of the gospel within you. Because everybody in here sins. Amen? Even look at your neighbor and say, you sin. Casey, you sin, Casey. But everybody does. And the word sin, remember, is this word that's, it's, it's just simply, it's an archery term, really, and it means to miss the mark. And all I'm saying is there's nobody in here that doesn't miss the mark every single day. Everybody does. But the thing is, hopefully, you don't deliberately, you don't deliberately, hopefully, do you? You don't deliberately set out to make mistakes. You don't deliberately practice doing wrong. And then, again, so if you got that one down, you're looking good. But then it says, neither is anyone who does not love. When you get saved, when the nature of Almighty God comes in you, i got to tell you, it's the simplest of verses in 1 John 4, God is love. And there's just, you know, you want to love. You want, it, there's just a want to, you can't help it. You want to be kind to people. Now, I'm not talking about earthly love. Remember those four Greek words for love. Phileo, where we get like Philadelphia, which means brotherly love, kinship. Then there's storge, S-T-O-R-G-E. Storge speaks of affection. It speaks of just another level up from Philadelphia, from phileo. In other words, you know, just affection. Hi, you put your arm around each other, your buddies, what have you. That's storge. Then there's eros. And eros, of course, means it's sexual connotation. It means it's physical love, sex. But then there's this word, and it's true. The word did not exist until Jesus Christ walked the earth, and they coined this word agape, which spoke of a love that was 100% selfless, 100% giving, 
that was just totally, totally uncompromisingly given for free. And that's what he did, and that's what the Bible says that we're supposed to love one another with. Not with Eros, not even with Storge, not even with Phileo. Now, we can have Phileo and Storge, that's fine. But God has deposited, the Bible says in the book of Romans right now, if you're born again, the love of God has been, past tense. I don't know, am I doing any good this morning at all? Yes. Seriously, I don't know. Chris, you all right? Maybe I should just play piano and we'd really rock up. <laughs> but you, you want to love. That's all I'm trying to get at. You, you don't, there's nothing in you that wants to be mean or that wants to be arrogant. And to me, that's the dividing line between knowing if people actually know God or if they don't know God, do is the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, some of them are our most basic teaching, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. If you're actually born again, you're, you're going to bear that fruit. You're simply going to bear that fruit when you get around somebody. You're going to feel acceptance. I said to them uh, yesterday or the day before when I was teaching, when I was really studying the life of Jesus all those years ago, the thing that Father said to me clearly, he said the word acceptance, and he said the hallmark of my son's life and ministry was acceptance. Everywhere he went, anybody who got around Jesus felt accepted. There was no sense of rejection whatsoever. Now, that's bigger than you understand right now. I mean, you just felt comfortable in his presence. It's amazing. I shared about Alfred Edersheim wrote a book called The Life and Times of Christ the Messiah many, many years ago. It's a classic. It's a Christian classic book. And he it's an incredible insight into how they lived in those days. But he shared about this, this scroll that was found, this set of scrolls that was found with the Dead Sea Scrolls. And it was the scrolls of a guy that was what we would call in modern day terms a journalist. He was a journalist at the time. And it's sharing the story, and part of the, of the story in this journal this guy wrote was he was talking about this young man named Jesus that was born in Bethlehem uh, when he was 14 and 15 years old. Now, that really it cracked me up because, you know, you don't, we have no knowledge in the Bible about his life other than when he was 12 years old and his parents found him in the temple, but until he was called out by God when he was 30 years old, there's nothing there. So whether or not, you know, you can't, Bet your life on this being accurate, but I'm just saying they found this stuff, and this guy's talking about this young boy, and they talked about how gentle he was, and yet how strong he was, and how amazing he was with his parents. But just one little line, one little thing that I read about it that just kind of made my ears perk up. It said, the thing that was one of the strangest things about this young Jesus was his affinity for animals. They said, animals of all nature, beasts of all kind, loved this young man. And I thought about that, and it just made sense to me, because, I mean, you know, there's no fear in him, and animals can sense fear. And I just thought about how the fact that animals could have just, you know, come nigh Jesus and just, you know, instantly recognize what humanity couldn't recognize. Do you know what I'm trying to say? So one of the hallmarks of walking in Christ and knowing that you're saved is that you carry with you a spirit of acceptance. What I mean is um, people like being around you. It doesn't get much simpler than that. 
And see, like I said, in, I've been in ministry the, you know, these many years. And I've shared this story before. But um, I always remember here in London, years and years ago, when Julie had Sydney come in, Sydney Jacobs, and we uh, went to a large church in London, a very large church who wanted Cindy to speak. And they had on their staff maybe 27, 30 people that were on staff at this church because it's a big church. And we were in like what they call the green room or, you know, before they speak, what happened, we're in this room. And some of the staff members knew Julie and I and Cindy was there, but they were talking to us and there was just a lot of freedom and joviality. In other words, there was just like a friendly thing in the room. You know what I mean? Everybody, hey, how you doing? Man, it's been a long time. How's it going? It's all cool. It's all fine. But when the big dog walked in, <laughs> the chief, the pastor, when this guy walked in, these people, I mean, whoop, I mean, they changed like that. And what I mean is it wasn't reverence and respect for the guy. They were afraid. I mean, you could tell this guy was not, you could just tell there was a lot of harshness in his spirit by the way the people responded to him. There wasn't a sense of welcome. There wasn't a sense that, hey, this is a, this is a good guy. There was just this thing all in the name of, oh, my God, you know, I mean, here he is. Let's, don't anybody mess up. Don't anybody make a mistake. Don't anybody make a mistake now because somebody else is here. That's not God. It, no, it just isn't. I'm not. I want us to know that you know that you know. I want you to know that you know that you know that you know that you have eternal life. And that's what this book says over, that you might know that you have life. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. Anyhow, by this it is made clear. By this it is made clear who take their nature from God and who take their nature from the devil. If you are deliberately looking for ways to mess up, you're in dangerous, dangerous territory. You might be one of those that are on that broad trail that leads to destruction. If there's a sense of angst in you, if you carry this, why well, I want to get even. I'm telling you, it starts right. That's why the love walk is the foundation. It is the foundation. Ephesians says it clearly. You must be rooted deep in love and founded securely on love. It is the foundation. God is love. God wants to see his own self reflected in his people. And when you don't see it, I mean, it, it's just, uh, it, it's, it's the foundation. And that's what the first thing, when things are going wrong, the very first thing you need to do is check your love life. <laughs> you hear me? But I mean, if there's that something in you where you look at somebody and I, I don't know, I just, mm, I don't like that person. Well, there's something, there's a flaw in your character. There's nobody in this room that's perfect. There really isn't. There's nobody in this room that's perfect. And the whole call of God, this is why, why the, the fellowship of Christianity is different from any other religion on the earth. Is that we're supposed to, they, Jesus himself, he said, they, John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment. Everybody say commandment. A new, okay, commandment. A new command. I love the English. A new commandment. 
This doesn't have as much power when you say it like that. <laughs> but think about it. Jesus is turning to these people. John 13, you've heard me speak. It's the last, 30, the last 72 hours of the Lord's life on planet Earth. And he's talking to his disciples who are going to take over his mission, his ministry in the planet. And he said, a new commandment, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. So there's the qualifying thing. But it's a commandment to love. And the word commandment, remember the definition of the word commandment? The definition of the word commandment is a decree or a declaration from which there is no retreat. A, def, a, a decree or a declaration from which there is no retreat. So the issue is this. If I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, then I, I've been commanded to love like he loves, even as I've loved you. Well, First John says, herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us first. So if I'm going to copy God, Ephesians 5, 1, be therefore imitators of God, even as Jesus gave himself up as a sweet-smelling sacrifice to God and walk in love. If I'm going to be an imitator of God, and if I'm going to love, if I'm going to obey the commandment of my king, I call him my Lord, I call him my Savior. You know the scriptures, many, many, many say unto me, Lord, did I not do this? Lord, did I do that? And Jesus turns to them and says, why do you call me Lord? I never knew you. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. That scares the you-know-what out of me. It still does. But the thing is, this is where, like it's going to say another place in First John, this is how we begin to quiet and assure our hearts in his presence. The way you can have absolutely no fear. You know how good it is to have no fear? To have no fear about your salvation whatsoever? Is to realize that, okay, if I'm going to obey this commandment, let me just... I think I'm going to shut up and finish because I'm, I haven't even, this is only the introduction. Hallelujah. <laughs> but to love even as he loved, well, number one, like I said, he loved us first. So if Rod's going to walk like God wants me to walk, I'm not going to wait for you to be nice to me. In other words, Rod needs to be proactive. I, I want to love you first. In other words, I'm going to show, it's not about and remember the word commandment because it is a military term. It takes it out of the realm of feelings. And so many Christians today, all in the name of sensitivity or all in the name of whatever, they wear the feelings on their shirt cuffs. People consistently in the body of Christ, and it makes you sad, and it makes God really sad, they get their feelings hurt. Well, grow up. I don't know what else to say. You're in life. People don't mean to, and some do mean to, but people hurt you. Right? Right? And the truth of the matter is you've hurt people, whether you meant to or not. So hurt is just part of what's the spirit in this world. But see, we're to overcome evil with good, Romans 12 says. And God's wanting us to simply be the first to love. And also, it's like Ephesians, then how, how else did he love us? Well, he loved us while we were dead in our sins and trespasses. I can't, I, I, God doesn't want me to wait until you come up to some level of perfection that I esteem high enough before I'm going to be good to you. Like Charlie sitting there. I don't know about Charlie. I think I'm still going to wait a while. I got to wait a while and see what kind of fruit Charlie bears. I have no idea who he is. In the meantime, I'm just kind of, Kind of ignore him. You know what I mean? Charlie who? 
I don't even know his last name. I think it has something to do with a box of chocolates. Is that right? But anyhow. No, but you know, it's, but see, it's the little, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. I actually, I, I, I know I'm floundering all over the place this morning. Like I said, it's Yana's fault. She prayed for me. Like I said, well, it is. It's, it's your fault. But the fact of the matter is, I, I, I want you to be Christians. I, I don't want you to be just church members. I don't want, I don't want church to be a hobby. I don't want it to be the substitute that you've accepted over what you used to do. I don't want it to be false in your life. I want you to go to heaven. And I want you to look for the indicators that show that, you know what, I really am saved. I'm telling you, when you do have the devil, and the devil comes at every one of us, the devil, you know, those thoughts come. I, it's the most in, awesome thing in the world to be able to cast down those imaginations like that, man, because you know him. Get away. That's not me. You're talking about a dead man. That was somebody that lived 150 years ago. I'm not that old man. I'm a, I am a new creation. And you begin to understand that's not me thinking that. That's a whole other teaching there again, but your thoughts, most Christians still think that what they think is them. They still think that because they think it, they're some dirty person. You can't keep bad thoughts from coming across your head. Every once in a while, some stupid, junky thing is going to swim through your psyche, swim through your mind. But once you begin to know what God's done, you know, that's not me. I'm not thinking that. That's some stupid devil that's just flown in the room. That's just some junk. And you learn, no, I'm not going to respond or react to that at all. Are you kidding me? I'm going to respond to the love of God. I'm going to walk in love. And it is the greatest, the most fought truth of all Scripture because hell knows, Satan knows, if you get a hold of the true love of God, you, he's lost you forever. He's actually lost you forever, forever. Because, that, you, you, because you become a person that when somebody hurts you, it doesn't mean that you don't hurt, but you forgive. You just do. Why? Because you feel like it? If you wait till you feel like forgiving somebody, you all know what I'm going to say next. You can forget it, right? But we forgive even as God in Christ forgave us. We forgive because it's the right thing to do. And the wonderful thing about all these truths is it gets easier and easier and easier and easier to do it. And again, that becomes another real marker in your life that I'm saved. It's easy for me to forgive now. A long time ago, there was a whole different Rod Anderson. Uh, there was a whole different Rod Anderson. People hurt me, hurt my family. I hurt them. And I did. And I went to prison for it. <laughs> but that was because that was the law of the earth. You know, somebody hurts me, hurts my family. You know, you're, I don't know who else might not do something, but with my family, the way we was bred, raised with rednecks, you know, <laughs> you took care of business. But to actually know now, no, I don't think, well, Julie's caught me a few times where I'm in the car and something happens and I go, that's something, boy, the Hulk begins to manifest, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? And I have to, down, boy, down, 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 boy, down. I scared Judy to death once, remember Hampstead? That guy parked in my cart and whatever this this guy started screaming at me, man. He went off at me and I was being cool. But this 
Well, no, no, I'm saying I was cool at first. I was very, very cool. And this guy started screaming at me and whatever, some young dude, you know, whatever, thinking he was some old funky old man, whatever. And this dude started, you know, mouthing off at me or something. I don't remember what it was about. Some car back there. He parked too close or I parked in his. No, I think he was yelling at me because I parked. Well, who cares? But this guy kept going off at me, but he pushed me to the point that I reached that trigger. Now, I have to say that I'm so loving now. Let's make sure this is clear. That would never, ever, ever happen nowadays, ever. But nevertheless, just to say, Rod imploded. And hallelujah. (laughs) Rod imploded, and he was no more. He went that way. And my wife is sitting back there going, <laughs> yeah, I think you went that way. <laughs> so I remember. Oh, that's right. People came with scripture saying, you don't marry. He's an angry man. Don't marry that man. And it wasn't that I was an angry man. I just had an angry moment. Hallelujah. I know all of you are perfect. That was a long time ago. What? Three weeks ago, something like that. Herein it is made clear who take their nature from God and who take their nature from the devil. I'm no longer in pursuit of doing things wrong. I don't look for an opportunity to make a mistake. When the temptation, because the Bible says all men are tempted, that includes every one of you in this room, right? Every single one of you in this room get tempted. The word tempt means to test or to try. It doesn't necessarily mean tempt. No, it means to be tested, to be tried. There's nobody in here that doesn't get tempted, tested, or tried. But because of the nature of God being in you, remember Jesus Christ himself. And that, again, was one of the greatest liberating truths that I ever learned as a young Christian in Christ, a young man in Christ. Jesus himself was tempted in all ways. Now, what does all comprise? Does all mean all? I wonder. It means all. (laughs) Jesus Christ, think about it. If you were tempted with it, Jesus has been tempted with it. Jesus Christ was tempted in all ways, like as you are, yet he was without sin. Now, think about that. And suddenly the light, I went, he was tempted, but he was without sin. I used to think that when I was tempted, the thoughts came, do this. Hmm. I used to think that when the temptation come, came, I was already a sinner. Because I instantly felt the kind of remorse, the pain, the dirtiness, whatever. Wow, wow, God, man, why would I think such a thing? You know, really, I'm a man of God. Why would I think that? Why? But like I said, you begin to realize, no, 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 I'm just being tempted. I haven't sinned. It's just a temptation. Because if it was sin, then Jesus was a sinner. In other words, he was tempted in all ways, but he was without sin. And see, when I realized, see, I caught, see, the devil is a liar. And I caught it. I just caught it. And it, boy, it set me free. No, 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 no. Temptation. It's not, a, it's not mine. And you just learn, no. No. And you learn how to say no to stuff. Because Christ 
remember how Paul said, I'm praying for you till Christ be formed in you? Christ begins to get bigger and bigger. The illustration I always used to use in Disneyland years and years ago, well, you've seen it. Have you ever seen a big balloon that has a second balloon on the inside of it? You know, the balloon on the inside of it, you know, you blow up and it's some figure of Mickey Mouse or something inside of a bigger balloon. Christ is in you. And the more you begin to yield to him and renew your mind to him, he expands inside of your vessel. He gets bigger and bigger on the inside of you. Until pretty soon, the two of you, man, I'm telling you, you're, you're fitting like a glove. And so the strength of Christ begins to overcome the strength of this world. The attraction of this world is broken by the all-consuming love when you see the beauty of Christ. Uh, that's one of my favorite things to say. I could say it every Sunday, and I, I'd be fine with it whether you were or not. When you really begin to see how beautiful he is, it breaks the attraction why would I want to lower myself to that when I have this? Uh, and that's what it's all about. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 